we're going to uh, read from Malachi, and it'd be my privilege to preach out of the book of Malachi. Now, if you're wondering where is Malachi, if you know where Matthew is, it's the book right before Mal. It's a book right before Matthew. It is the last book in the Old Testament. So it's a good guess that it'd be about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's right before Matthew. Book of Malachi, chapter three. Now, I had all planned to preach out of a different Bible, and I got here this morning, and I don't know where I put it, so I am in the world's smallest Bible, <laughs> because it is the same translation as what you'll see on, on the screen. So, uh, my eyes are beginning to fail me, something about old age, and uh, if I struggle through this, um, that's, that's why. Okay, uh, chapter 3, chapter 3, the first four Verses, um, the book of Malachi. Okay. <laughs> I feel like my dad. Okay. Do you think of me any less of a pastor if I read from the screen? Of course not. Okay. Teeny tiny Bible, man, that thing. All right. Hear the word of the Lord from Malachi. Look, I am sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's in another prophetic literature and one of the major prophets. It's in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah equips the church with visions of justice and dreams of restoration. Isaiah, of course, many years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied that the Lord has a day, a set-apart day, where God will set right all the wrongs and evil of a fallen world. It's kind of like this. Someday, one day, of course, not this day, but another day, a future day, a coming day, a day, on its way where communities shattered by violence and corrupted by power will be restored in the love of God. Isaiah helps us, helps the church, to envision a community of healing, a community of unity, and a community of peace. Wouldn't that be nice? This vision of a restored and peaceful future was known by a title. Anybody know? I've already given it away. It was known as the Lord's Day. And in Isaiah chapter 2, that's obviously not the scripture we read this morning, but if you were to go to Isaiah 2, you would find it written, The Lord has a day. Well, as we gather in the days before Christmas, we are obviously thinking about the coming of the Lord as a baby in a manger. But we also, we also gather as a community who already confesses in the Lordship of Christ, and so are moved to imagine the day where the Lord will finally and ultimately bring us into the Lord's day of 
perfect union with God's plans. So today we gather as a people who can imagine and dream of the Lord's day. The Lord has a day where the world will be as God designed it to be. Perfect justice. Wouldn't that be nice? Perfect union. Won't that be nice? We are invited then, because we can, to imagine big dreams, peaceful dreams. In many ways, this is the good news of the Advent season, that the hope of God's perfect kingdom comes to those worn out and exhausted by the endless pressures of the day. Are you there this morning? I'm looking at some that might fall underneath that classification of exhausted, worn out. (laughs) Brady says, I'm already there, man. The Lord's day comes to you then, Brady, as a promise that's already in the works, a promise for your nourishment and a promise for our rest. Now, won't that be nice? I'm actually wondering, Chuck, um, if we could just shut the lights off. I think this I think this stage light will be good for me, but if we could just shut all the other lights, the overhead lights off. If this causes you to fall asleep, that's, that's good. That's, you need it, okay? I think our sanctuary looks beautiful in Christmas time. I, it looks absolutely gorgeous. There are many hands that made this possible. Um, I don't know if Will is still in here, but Will helps lead, lead this. I think some of you were around a couple weeks ago. I was in California, not going to brag or anything, but I was getting a sunburn, and you were here putting this up under leadership of Will. I love it. It also, there's something peaceful. There he is. Will, thank you for all of these Christmas lights. They're wonderful. There's something peaceful about it. Maybe, maybe you don't like Christmas, but I would say the majority of us, we like Christmas. We like Christmas lights. How many of us uh, sit in our living room at night with the lights off and just the tree on? Is it just me? No, there's, okay, yeah. It's peaceful, right? So I think this morning it's right as we talk about a coming day, the Lord's day, a day where peace and unity will reign. And we just kind of take this scene in. Rest. And if the type of rest you need this morning is sleep, then rest well. Just rest. It's nice. We're in the presence of a promise, the promise of the Lord's day. The book of Malachi comes as a message to the tribe of Levi, the whole book. The whole book is a statement to the tribe of Levi. The vocation of the Levites, of course, was to serve the people of God as a representative. So they were to stand, like on a Sunday morning, right? It would be Saturday for them, but they were to stand before God as a representative of the people, And then they were to stand before the people as a representative of God. God looks over the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi is the first of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God claims them as his own to live and speak as a demonstration of God's perfect way, of God's perfect peace, of God's unity, justice, wholeness, and love. The Levites were chosen, a set-apart tribe, to walk and speak in truth. So you see, as the Levites spoke, their speech 
And as the Levites behaved, their activity all told of God's character and nature. You knew what God was like by what the Levites said or by what the Levites did. They stood before God and they, repre- they stood before the people and they represented what God was like. The book of Malachi is a message to the Levite tribe that their speech and that their activity was fake news. <laughs> you just thought that was a new idea. It's not a new idea. The book of Malachi, it's all about fake news. God's priestly tribe had been telling a false story. They had not been walking in truth. They had been proclaiming a weak and weakened version of the God of Israel, and eventually the likeness of God was lost, and the knowledge of God was forgotten. God's character and God's way had been misrepresented, and this mis This is a massive problem, and this misrepresentation was absolutely lethal for the people of God. It wore on the people like a version of spiritual Alzheimer's. The people could only remember what was directly in front of them. You see, here was the problem that their imagination was locked into the internal present, into the indefinite now, the pressures the fears and the insecurities of the present moment, it dominated their thinking and their decision-making. It dominated how they interacted with one another and how they participated within their communities. And it was the Levites' job to help guide these confused minds of the people. But the Levites were no longer speaking or walking in the truth of God's ways. This is the point in the story where we go, oh no, there's a problem. There is. The message that Malachi brings highlights seven disputes between God and the Levites. I'm going to tell you about those seven in super condensed form. The first one, they questioned if God even loved them. They asked, does God love us? They didn't even know anymore if they had a God that loved them. The message of love had gotten lost. They led a shoddy and sloppy representation of God's name. They experienced infidelity in marriage and in worship. They led a life of broken promises. Does God even keep God's word anymore? Well, the Levites didn't. So if the Levites represented God before the people, the Levites represented infidelity. They also represented a form of cheap grace, that God loves sinners and sin alike, that God has no standards, that God has no integrity. They were dishonest. They robbed God in similar ways that Cain robbed God. They brought him what was left over, not what was of the first fruit. They gave God out of their excess Malachi says, you have robbed God. Strong language. Well, those were six things. No wonder that the seventh thing was a declaration that they had fallen into disbelief and their faith had lost all vibrancy. They are now living a very mundane and monotone faith, just moving through actions. 
you ever experienced that? Whether it be my fault or someone else's fault, or whether it be a fault of your own, who knows? But the view of God had become so unbelievable. That you just kind of moved through the actions. Just real monotone, real matter of fact, no joy. Maybe you're asking questions like, does God even love me anymore? Is God even faithful anymore? Does God even have any repercussions of sin? Or is all things permissible? Do whatever you like, whenever you like it, and that's your view of God. Well, if those are your questions this morning, know that your questions are ancient and old and you are not alone. This is what was going on during the time of Malachi. Eventually, as the priest fell away from God, it will be no surprise to you know that the people fell away from God as well. All suffered from memory loss. If there was one issue that I'm addressing this morning, I want to address the issue of memory loss, of spiritual Alzheimer's. The minds of the people could not recall the past. They also couldn't conceive of the future. They could only entertain what was in the present. And the present, as we know, always carries burdens too heavy to manage. After time, it's hard to believe the stories of the past or the hope of the future. All that seems kind of silly, doesn't it? In light of the stress of the day. Call me this week. Tell me your problems, and I'm going to tell you. It'll be okay. The Lord's with you. And you're going to say in your mind, you idiot. Right? Or you're going to post on Facebook that prayer's not enough. With the loss of memory, (laughs) that was a dig, I'm sorry. With the loss of memory comes the bankruptcy of the future. And that's the real issue. Forget about my silliness there. The real issue is that with the loss of memory comes the bankruptcy of the future. If the past is a story of God's faithfulness, Remember when God did da-da-da-da-da, that's the past. If the past is a story of God's faithfulness, the future is a story of God's restoration. God will do da-da-da-da-da. Well, in this scenario, the people became trapped under the circumstances of the day and had no memory to remember faithfulness and had no power to dream of hope. When we live under no memory and when we live under no future, we forget what God is like and what God will do. What our days used to be like and what the future day will be like. We forget that the Lord has a day. Soon after, our actions follow suit and we stop living as if the Lord has a way. In the middle of Malachi's corrective message comes an unmistakable image of God's unchanging promise to the people. An image of what? A patient craftsman or craftswoman. Malachi reminds us 
two verses after what we just finished with, in the sixth verse of the third chapter, that God never changes. And because God never changes, we are then spared by his grace and held in his promise. And the words of God's covenant with the Levites in Numbers 3 verse 11 reverberates over this passage. You will be mine, is what God says to these faithless Levites. It's what God says to these faithful Levites hundreds of years before we get to Malachi. So Malachi reminds these faithless Levites, you are God's. And God never changes. In fact, God is like a silversmith that sits before the sweltering heat of a fire and works metal until all the dross and excess has been worked away and all that remains is polished shine of silver. Come on, man. Stay with me here now. Listen to this. Malachi's talking about you. God sits with you until all of the dross and excess is melted away and all that's left is your shine. If you needed an encouraging word this morning, friend, know that you're like silver in the eyes of God. They say, and I know they say a lot, but they say, a silversmith knows that their work is done when they can see the image of themselves in the shine of the silver. Bring back. Bring back memories for anybody. Malachi reminds us of God's patient faithfulness in his people to work out the dross in the excess until only his image is seen in us. He invites us to imagine a God who works and reworks our memory until we can conceive and imagine again a day where all creation, I'm talking about the physical earth, the dirt, where all creation shines in the representation of God's image. A day where justice and peace, righteousness and mercy become present tangible realities. God sits with our minds and our hearts and works and reworks like a silversmith until his image can be seen in the shine of your heart. His activity becomes our activity. His walking becomes our walking. His speaking becomes our speaking so that when we say the Lord has a day, there's tangible people to point to that's ushering in that day. Excuse me, I've been on vacation. I'm excited. I think I would want to say something here about being careful to not live as if there is no hope. As if the world didn't belong to God. As if the pollution of the earth was the final word and God somehow is completely not controllable, not in control of the climate. I want to say something here about living as if there's no hope. 
not just about climate issues, and they are real issues, and they matter to God because this is God's earth. <laughs> it's, not just a, it's not just a holding pattern until we get to heaven. I think we know that. The earth matters to God. But so do the way that we interact with each other. And I think I just want to pause here and say something about the hope that we have in God that he cares about the ways that we write each other messages or the way that we speak to one another. And if it's divisive, don't lose hope that we still belong to God and that God is presently at work to restore the way that we speak to one another. And there's a whole other list of issues, right? As if all of the world's problems and brokenness didn't belong to the fire of the divine refiner. I want to say here something about my children. The image of fire can be scary. To think of God as a refiner's fire might bring a thought of destruction. Like, if I come close to this refiner you're talking about, will I be destroyed? Fire is scary. We might ask, is God's love, is his will, is it for my nourishment or is it for my destruction? So if I give all of my heart to God, will he somehow call me into Africa to die as a missionary? My children, this is what I want to say. My children have a weird affection for my love of coffee. They are amazed at its temperature. And they want to touch the mug in which it's contained. And they want to feel the steam of the liquid. They'll hover their hands over my hot coffee. They love it. But they are too afraid to drink its contents. Yes, I admit, I've tried to feed my children coffee. <laughs> they never, even when it's cold, they never want to taste it. Why? They're afraid. <laughs> they don't know what it tastes like. They're afraid it's going to burn them. Often, I think we come into the house of the Lord in love with the idea of the Lord's day, but afraid that it might cost us too much. Friends, if we're not careful here, this fear I think it's ultimately a love of self, a love of the present day. Well, it will work its way in our memory until all we can recall is the stress that we're living under, the pressures of the current day. And we will have forgotten the promise of the Lord's day, a day that is coming, a day that is breaking in where the restless will rest and the broken will be restored. See, And Stefan, wherever you may be, yes, or those whom we're going to play during the Eucharist, would you make your way up? God needs a people. God needs a people who will live in memory as people of promise. God needs people who will act in hope as people of the resurrection. That means those who remember and those who hope. God needs a people who will live as representatives of his holy day. What I'm saying, I guess, is God needs a priesthood. 
And as Jesus prays in John 17, 17, he prays for his disciples. Right before his crucifixion, he prays to the Father that he would sanctify himself so that his disciples would be sanctified in him. In other words, Jesus holds his disciples into his life so that as he defeats death and cleanses sin, his very children are held to the victory and to the purification in which he accomplishes. That is to say, Jesus sanctifies us. Oh, I'm sorry. There's another word for that. Um, what is it? If we only had an image. It's like someone who sits, that's like a silversmith and sits at a fire and cleans it all. It's like that. If only the Bible had an image. The faithfulness of the past is that God never changed. And God stayed true to God's people even when they failed. That's the story of the past. The testimony of Jesus is that he becomes the refiner's fire. This amazing, awe-provoking power whose content is peace, love, and mercy. The testimony of Jesus is that he holds us into the sanctifying work so we can go on living and acting in the way God designs. We can live now with peace we can live now, like this moment, December 9th, this hour with righteousness and with love and with mercy and with joy. You know you can be happy. It's possible. You can live with joy. Not every moment sucks, you know. Your whole life doesn't suck. You can be happy when the image of Jesus is the image that we become at the hands of the refiner, then, friends, we don't have to be afraid of the fire. It's for our good. It's, it's, it's easy. It's light. His burden, that is. His yoke, I'm talking about. It's easy. It's light. Oh, don't be afraid. The hope of the future is that the Lord has a day. The hope for the future is that the Lord has a people. Because of Jesus, the priesthood has been extended from the tribe of Levi to all people, including us. You can read about it in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are now God's chosen race, God's chosen representatives. We are held in the love of Jesus and made to be like him in the work of the Spirit so we might be his image in the world. So friends... Look, I want you to literally look around. Isaiah says, the Lord has a day, and you're the glimpse. You're looking at it. You're looking at the Lord's day. Chipman Commons can be, with the help of the Spirit, a glimpse of the Lord's day. We need a place of peace. We need a place of refuge. We need a place of rest. We need a place where people don't hate each other and are divided against one another. And a place where people are generous. Chipman Commons can be that place. We can be Isaiah's prophetic word. The Lord has a day. And you can find it here. See, Advent isn't always about what's to come. It's about what's becoming at the hands of the refiner. 
trust in the Lord today, your family, your neighborhood, your home, your very self is at the hands of the refiner. He's burning off all dross, and it may feel like hell to you. But I promise you, as far back as I can remember, that God will never leave you. And as far ahead as I can imagine, that God will be victorious. So hang on, friend. Hang on. You are loved. You are loved, and God has not forgotten you. For those that aren't powerful enough this morning, that aren't strong enough to remember yesterday or think ahead of today, we need each other to be that memory. Not just in text messaging, not just in a Facebook message, but in real life, physical flesh and presence, we need each other. I know for 185 years we've done Thanksgiving dinner and it is, we hate it. We hate coming to it because we hate who we have to sit by. We hate who we have to talk to. We're going to sit by someone that we don't want to talk to. It's just for people from new beginnings. Why would I come to that? I'm going to be asked to clean up and clean a table. I don't want to clean up anymore. I've cleaned for 345 years, and I'm done cleaning. I get it. Do you realize I do all that stuff for my job every day? I get tired of it, too. I'll be the last one to leave tonight, and I already don't want to be here because of that. I've lost my right-hand people. Now I have to close up. <laughs> so let's just be miserable together. But friends, we need each other. We need each other. And there'll be someone tonight at Thanksgiving dinner that is sitting there by themselves that doesn't have the strength to think about yesterday and doesn't have the strength to think about tomorrow, and they could use you. Just your presence. If you don't have anything to say, then don't say anything. Just sit there. Be flesh. <laughs> Be a breathing heart and be a reminder that life will go on. In this way, we can be the Lord's day, even with something as fun, and I think it's fun, something as fun as Thanksgiving dinner. It's why it's important. I don't care if you don't like it or not. I think it's important for you to be here because there's going to be someone that needs you. I don't know what Ben is saying, but I think he's going to be here. I can't hear him, but I think he's going to be here tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say a prayer. Father, here we are, your people, at 214 Northeast Chipman. Lord, we're yours. Father, clean us, purify us, and make us like shining silver to where we reflect your image and where this world, who knows who will come tonight? There may be someone who comes tonight that's not of our congregation. May they see your image. There might be someone that comes tonight that is of our congregation, but that is really struggling. Lord, may they see your image. <laughs> Father, we don't have to do anything but let you do your work. Refine us, purify us, and cleanse us so that we may speak on your behalf in a truthful way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.